The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. How will innovation and technology disrupt our company in the future? What will we do about it? And what are other industries doing to protect themselves while still embracing change? To address that from the perspective of the food industry, Paul Shapiro. Paul, welcome to the show. Joel, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. This, this is such a big problem. Companies are, are, are just terrified about this. I get calls from companies uh, every week uh, about change, about technology, about disruption, and they don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. So give us a little background about yourself real quick and kind of what your place in the food business is. And then let's talk about the disruption that you guys are uh, embracing and, and trying to harness. Great. Well, thanks so much, Joel. And, you know, look, if you think about, let's say, 25 years ago, virtually every photo anybody took was made on a gelatin negative that was printed out on gelatin paper. And that was the time when Kodak and Canon were vying for supremacy in that film market. Yet digital film was coming. And Kodak, in fact, was the original inventor of digital film, but, but they were afraid. They were afraid it was going to cannibalize their business. And so they suppressed it and they didn't pursue it, whereas Canon embraced it. And they said, you know, this might end up suppressing or, or cannibalizing our business model, but we think it's the wave of the future. And so they embraced it. And we all know what happened. Kodak went bankrupt and Canon is now the largest manufacturer of digital cameras on the face of the planet. And you could look, everybody also talks about how Netflix displaced Blockbuster, but what we don't really talk about is the fact that Netflix originally was mail-in DVD. It wasn't originally a streaming service, but like Canon, Netflix recognized that streaming was going to be the way of the future, even though it promised to destroy their business model of mail-in DVDs. And so while mail-in DVDs were probably the biggest threat to uh, Blockbuster at that time, it turned out that Netflix's own embracing of the innovation of streaming led to the destruction of their uh, of their model, which was mail-in DVDs. And so you see the trend, and you can list an innumerable examples of this where companies either embrace innovation, even when cannibalizing their core business, or they try to suppress it and cling on to the status quo. Well, in the food and agriculture industry, we have a similar issue. And that issue is that the primary way that we get meat today is by raising and slaughtering billions of animals for food. But 
It just takes a lot of land, takes a lot of water, takes a lot of greenhouse gas emissions to do that. And the problem is that the planet is getting hungrier for meat, both in terms of per capita consumption of meat, which is going up, and in terms of the total population of the, of the world, which is also going up. And so we're going to have to find ways to more efficiently produce meat, or at least a meat-like experience for people, without the intensive nature of raising and slaughtering billions of animals for food. And that's where my company comes in. The Better Meat Co. is a B2B ingredients company. And what we do is we utilize fermentation to make products that look and taste like meat, except with a minuscule fraction of the resources needed to actually raise animals. So if you think about it, Joel, like a cow will take um, about uh, uh, 12, 14 months, or if the cow is grass-fed, maybe two years before you slaughter them. Well, pigs take about five months before you slaughter them, chickens about 40 days. In our case, what we're doing is a fermentation that from the time we inoculate our fermenter until the time that we harvest it, less than one day, less than one day to produce a a type of meat. It's not made from animals, but it's made from microbial fermentation that looks and tastes like meat, except with a much smaller fraction of the resources needed. And it's better for you because it's lower in saturated fat and zero cholesterol, high fiber, but still high protein and higher in iron than beef too. So that's the premise of what we're doing. And we're betting that this is the wave of the future in the same way that digital film displaced the uh, methods of uh, photographing that we uh, had in the past. I think that uh, technologies like fermentation are gonna do the same with meat production. You gotta gotta explain this um, one day thing, just just, just so we're all staying on the same page. Uh, You know, what what exactly happens in one day? The, The whole process happens in one day or just one little part of the process? No, no, no. The whole thing. So uh, if you think about it like this, Joel, so, you know, the larger the organism, typically speaking, the longer it takes to replicate itself. So it takes an elephant a long time to make another elephant. It takes a human less time to make another human. It takes a pig even less time to make more pigs. And then uh, let's get down to like mice and rats and they're replicating really fast. But when you get down to the microscopic level, it's happening like this. Now you're not talking about weeks, months or years, but you're talking about hours. And in that case, what we can do through a microbial fermentation is create products again in less than a day that from the moment we inoculate our fermenter until the moment we are harvesting from that fermenter less than 24 hours. That's how rapidly the the microbes grow be just a little more specific what so what are you what are you inoculating i mean is it real meat that and you're you're like super you're enhancing it or is it a plant and you're enhancing it what what exactly are you doing well interestingly so you just offered two different kingdoms animal meat and plant right and so those are two kingdoms in if you look at the like tree of evolution you got plants over here and animals over here. We're actually not using either of those kingdoms. We're using fungi, which is a different kingdom altogether. Now, fungi are not in between plants and animals. They're way closer to animals. So that's why when you think about a mushroom, it has a much meatier texture than a plant does. Um, you know, if you eat, you know, a plant, it doesn't really have the texture of meat, but when you eat a mushroom, you can tell it's actually kind of meatier. And that's because it is so much closer to animals. And that's why the flesh of a mushroom is so similar to the flesh of an animal. Now, what we do is we take a process that occurs in nature and which is basically the growing of this fungi. 
then we just wrap it in stainless steel and accelerate it. We're not doing anything like genetic modification or anything like that, but we just create the conditions that allow for it to grow faster than it would normally. In the same way that we have, not we, our company, but we, meaning humanity, has uh, domesticated and selectively bred chickens and pigs and cows to grow much faster than their ancestors ever did. What we're doing is creating conditions that cause this fungi to grow faster and to create meat-like foods that are made from fungi and that are super high in protein and high in iron, but they don't involve raising and slaughtering animals. They involve a tiny fraction of the land needed. And when you eat them, honestly, Joel, you really can't tell the difference. If you got a steak from us and you ate that steak, if you didn't know that this wasn't a steak that came from a cow, uh, if you didn't know it wasn't a steak that came from a cow, you would really wouldn't second guess it, I don't think. So, so do you guys create steaks that seem like they're steaks from cows or do you create hamburgers or chicken nuggets? I mean, what do, what do you guys actually output? Yeah. So first, all of the above that you just mentioned, we can do. However, we're a B2B ingredients company. We're not out there with a brand of product on the supermarket shelf. We supply food companies with ingredients that they can utilize to make their own products. Now, that could be making a fully animal-free steak or chicken nugget or anything like what you were just saying, but it also could mean blending our ingredients into the animal meat itself. So think about it. If you think about like cars today, when you go and pump gas into your car, you're not contemplating the fact that it's probably 10 or 15% ethanol, right? You don't even think about it. It's just, it's just there. Well, what if meat were the same? What if we could reduce the footprint or maybe the hoof print of meat by blending in these type of uh, superfood proteins into the meat so that you had to use fewer animals. In the same way that ethanol allows us to use less gasoline, is uh, at least that's the goal, this could allow us to use fewer animals. So you would still go out and get your burger or your chicken nugget, except it would be blended and it would look and taste either identical or maybe even better. Um, and you get better nutrition, less saturated fat, less cholesterol, fewer calories. In fact, we sell to Purdue Farms, the major chicken company, and they make a product that's called Purdue Chicken Plus, and that's 50% chicken and 50% plant-based. But according to them, their own customers prefer the taste of the blended nugget. In fact, the Food Network named it the number one best-tasting frozen chicken nugget in America, despite the fact that it's only 50% chicken. So just think about it, like, you know, that doesn't mean that people are going to stop eating meat, but it does mean that the meat that people eat will be better meat. It'll be better for the planet, better for the health, and they'll still enjoy and love the taste. And and basically what we're doing is we're stretching those resources somewhat further. So, I mean, how are people feeling about eating a, uh, you know, like something that's kind of been, um, uh, you know, enhanced in some way? I mean, I kind of find it interesting that it's not an all or nothing proposition that, you know, there, there, there's, right. a, there's a middle ground. And that's kind of what, what I find very fascinating about this is that it's not like I have to choose between the two. It's a, I can really do some good and eat something that is really kind of in the middle. Uh, I, it's an interesting thing. And the way you supplement uh, gasoline is very similar, you know, maybe yeah. not the best comparison for food, but, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very, very good point, Joel point taken. However, I'd say like this, you know, when you go, let's say to a Jamba juice or any juice joint and, you know, they ask you, do you want to boost your smoothie? Do you want to get matcha or hemp seeds or whatever they're going to ask you to put in there, right? You're not thinking, oh, I'm getting less smoothie. You're thinking I'm getting a better smoothie. I'm getting something that's better be- than, the, than the conventional. That's the same with this. You could have a product that is solely made from meat, but you could have a better product if you boost it or enhance it with this great tasting, healthy plant protein. And that's what we're providing as a way to boost meat, to make it actually better, all around better tasting, 
better for your health and better for the planet. And there's no sacrifice needed. You don't have to stop doing the things you love, stop enjoying the foods that you like. It just means eating better versions of them. So how's, how's consumer adoption of this uh, concept? Because it's, I, I haven't really heard it explained this way. I mean, I, I think most of us have kind of seen like this all or nothing, either by the vegetarian ones or you buy the meat ones, you know, and that's yeah. kind of what your choice is. We don't really think about a blended thing, which is really the smart answer. Yeah. Well, so first of all, I, I like those fully plant-based meats. I eat them and I hope more people eat more of them, but we should just remember that they still represent far less than 1% of the total meat market, far less. So, I mean, it, you just have to recognize that it is barely a rounding error in the total meat market. Now in the milk space, it's a little bit different. So plant-based milk, like soy milk or coconut milk or rice milk and almond milk and so on, those have actually now gone to about 13% of the fluid milk market in America. So not a rounding error, but it, you know, it's still a small portion, but it's growing. So that's one thing. But in the plant-based meat space, more than 99% of the meat that we're producing still comes from just raising animals for food. So it's tiny. And what that suggests to me is that those products either are not yet tasting identical or they're not cheap enough to actually compete and, and probably both. So instead of asking people to eat something that tastes different and or is going to cost them much more, you know, that's a fine thing to do. There's some people who want to do that. Um, and, and I'm one of them, frankly, I like those products, but you know, it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive with also giving the 99% of meat that's being consumed out there a, a better profile. And so consumers are into it and they really like the idea that they can have their meat and eat it too, that they can enjoy the foods and the brands that they really like while at the same time having a lower impact on their health and, and on their planet and on the planet too. You know, I wonder. I wonder if it's uh, if if it's the factors that you just mentioned why there hasn't been adoption, or if it's because the companies don't have enough margin to put the advertising dollars behind it to make it a priority. Because the consumers aren't going to aren't going to. It has nothing to do with consumers until the company puts it out there and pays for it to be out mm -hmm. there and begins it to educate consumers. I, I think you could be right, Joel. I mean, most of these companies are private, so we don't know what their margins are. But if you look at the primary publicly traded company in the space, which is called Beyond Meat, uh, you know they they tout in their um, in their SEC filings that their margin is thirty percent. So you know they are they're making some money there, and uh, they do market. Um, you know, and and I don't know. I mean, they're they're you know. I've, I've seen that they have trouble keeping up with demand. Like demand is really high for their product, but you know what, you're what, starting what, from a really small base. What sort of occurs to me though, is that, uh, you know, some people philosophically want plant-based food and other people sure. just want meat. You know, what you're talking about is really not philosophical. It's not uh, even something that would be thoughtful. It would just be, it's, a, you know, that's right. It, it's just, you know, the, the new kind of meat that's out there, you know, they are, we already know they use glue to hold nice pieces together. We've seen these stories on 2020. We, we know that they add coloring and things that we wish they wouldn't do, you know, to kind of make the shelf life longer. I mean, so these things are already sort of happening, um, but, you know, it, it's it just it's not happening with a lot of our knowledge. But what you're talking about is kind of making the food better. And so right. I can imagine that certain kind of additives are better. Because especially if they have vitamins and they have nutritional content yeah. and so forth. So yeah, you're absolutely right, Joel. And let me put it to you this way. So you know, if you think about it, right now, there's like this craze, right? Everybody's like, how much protein is in there? Where do you get your protein? How many grams of protein are in this? But 
no, virtually no one in America is protein deficient. You're not protein deficient. I'm not protein deficient. You probably never have met somebody who's protein deficient. However, 97% of Americans are fiber deficient. Nearly none of us consume enough fiber. And you know where fiber is found? It's not found in meat. There's no fiber in meat at all. It's only found in plants. And that's because animals have skeletons which hold us up, whereas plants don't have skeletons. They're held up by fiber. So the only place you're ever going to find fiber is in plants. If people are eating a lot of meat and they're not eating a lot of plants, one way to help them get their fiber could be putting the fiber directly in the meat. And that comes from our type of product where you can have the meat, but also have less saturated fat, less cholesterol, and more fiber. And fiber deficiency is associated with all types of problems from colon cancer to constipation and more. And so I think that, you know, in the future, people might not be asking, where do you get your protein? They're going to be asking, where do you get your fiber? And with uh, blended boosted meat, that's one way to get it. Is, is the fiber content that you add is it material enough? Material enough yes. to even discuss? I mean, does yes, it, does yes, it add grams, up to yeah, grams per serving. Yes, that's right. So um, you know the the RDA for uh, fiber right now, I think is like twenty five grams uh, in America, uh, twenty five grams per day, and most Americans get woefully less than that, way less than that. And so we can add a few grams to actually get you a little bit closer to there for sure. Interesting. So what's the, yeah, um, yeah, I, I will say, I mean, it's not a substitute for eating fruits and vegetables, which we still ought to do. Uh, but, you know, I'm saying, you know, and you have those fruits and vegetables on your plate and you also have that burger. Why not get some fiber in the burger too? Yeah. So what's the, um, what's, what's the business look like? I mean, does it look like uh, this, this right now, this is a less than 1%. You said it's a, you know, it's just a rounding error, but you know, what do you, what do you think it's going to take to get this to be uh, something more material? I mean, it seems, it seems like, uh, there's probably a substantial investment opportunity, a lot of growth opportunity for this industry, because uh, I, I can imagine that 20 years from now, this would be a thing. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Joel. So it's a huge investment opportunity, and there is a massive interest in this space. It's white hot right now. What's called the alternative protein space is white hot. And part of that is fueled by successful IPOs by companies like Beyond Meat and Oatly, that you know are uh, real heroes in the space, and that they had these big IPOs, they raised tons of money, um, and even though those two companies, each of them, interestingly enough, has about four hundred million dollars in revenue per year, so they're big for the alternative protein space, but for the general food space, you know, it's really not that much. Uh, so there's massive room for growth. Is my my point that when you know the two big IPOs are only doing four hundred million dollars a year in revenue each. Um, you know, you you see, there's just a lot of room for growth there. So there is a lot of money coming into the space, and a lot of people are interested in new technologies that are going to find better and, and better ways to uh, create that meat type experience. I really believe that most people eat meat not because of how it was produced, but really in spite of it. I think most people would be happy to eat meat even if animals weren't raised for it. It's kind of like you know when you go to flick a light switch, what you want is light. That's you want the experience of having your room be illuminated. But you don't you're not thinking about whether it came from fossil fuels or from renewable energy. You just want a constant, reliable source of inexpensive light. The same is so with meat. People want the experience of meat. They don't necessarily want animals to be raised and slaughtered for it. And so if you can create that same experience and with way fewer resources, it's better for you. It tastes the same, if not better. And you don't have to use animals. Why wouldn't you? I mean, it's a great opportunity to do something like digital film did in the in the space. You know, digital film still does the same thing. It helps us capture our memories so we can look at them later. Well, this will still do the same thing. It gives you that experience of eating meat that humans seem to crave without all of the downsides. 
Is this, uh, do you think the opportunity is bigger in the United States for a product like this to supplement our existing food supply? Or do you think that the opportunity is bigger internationally where this is just going to become a replacement food supply Mm -hmm. where they don't eat a lot of meat to begin with? Right. Well, nearly everywhere on the planet is eating more and more meat now. So you're right, Joel, that, you know, the U.S. is a massive meat consumer on a per capita basis. We're often number one in the world on how much meat we eat. However, even countries like China and India that historically have had low meat demand are going like this. They're increasing very rapidly in their meat demand because uh, they have been expanding middle class. And one of the first things that people do when they escape poverty is start adding more meat to their to their diet. And it's great that so many people are escaping poverty, but there is a downside, which is that it's much more intensive on the on the planet. And you know, the planet's not getting any bigger. Um, our footprint on the planet is getting bigger, but the planet isn't getting any bigger. We're not going to be farming the moon. We're not going to be farming Mars. We only have one celestial body to farm, and it's called Earth. And we got to get a lot more efficient. So for that reason, I think that in economies like in China and India, where they have um, these expanding middle classes, but not as much resources to produce a lot more food. Yes, those are really great opportunities for the alternative protein market, um, especially because people there aren't as wedded to animal agriculture as some more developed countries like the United States are. So there's like fewer losers, so to speak, in the market from that type of a shift. Um, It's almost like if you imagine what happened in Africa with uh, telecommunications, right? It wasn't that cell phones displaced landlines, it's that they never put in the landlines in the first place. You know, they went straight over the landline phase and went straight to cell phone technology. Well, I think what might happen in certain places like um, like in India and China, to continue with that example, is instead of building like really large uh, animal agriculture facilities and then that, that, get, that get displaced by uh, these type of alternative protein technologies, they might just go straight to them. And in the same way that China is dominating like the solar panel market and the lithium ion battery market, you could easily see them also dominating the what's called the clean meat market or basically the meat without animals market. This is really, this is just a fascinating thing. And, you know, just, just for a little bit of background, uh, I, when I grew up, my dad was in the meat business and worked in a slaughterhouse and he sold sides of beef to supermarkets. I mean, that that's, I guess, what he did. And uh, we used to eat meat every day. I think we'd have steak on Mondays and Fridays and we had some other thing in the days in between. And I remember one time going to a friend's house. I was uh, 10 or 12 years old and uh, the mom asked me to stay over for dinner. And I said, what are you having for dinner? And they said, chicken. And I started jumping up and down like I'd never eaten uh, meat before. And the the woman calls my mom and says, boy, you know, is everything okay at home? The kid, the kid seems like he never had a good meal, like, like chicken, you know? <laughs> and, oh yeah, no, he eats so much steak. He's sick of steak. He just wanted to eat some chicken. <laughs> oh, wow. So, oh, wow. So we, you know, but the world, I, I reckon I granted the world was different at that time. It would, the world really was different. The, the drain on resources. But what's fascinating to me about this is that there's a lot of different perspectives that you've got your people who are really philosophical about beyond meat that, that want to eat that, uh, the plant-based thing. So there's a philosophical reason for it. You have people that just want to stretch the resources of the planet. So there's a planetary kind of environmental concern, methane, global warming. I mean, you got those people that would line up behind this. And then there's just some practicality about nutrition. I mean, there's so many angles to this that it's quite fascinating. I I really, uh, I respect what you're doing. So tell us, just tell us a little bit more about your business. How, how is it, you know, like 
Uh, what kinds of companies do you sell to or what, what kind of products do you sell them? What, what, what exactly did they do with these products to kind of stretch out the, uh, uh, the, the, the raw materials that they're, that they're producing? Sure. Well, we have products that go really well as a seamless blend into hamburgers, crab cakes, chicken nuggets, and more. So whether you're making a fish stick or a crab cake or a meatball, we can offer a great product that you can blend directly in and make it so that the customer either notices no difference or actually prefers it in a blind taste test because it gives a better mouthfeel and it improves the yield. So, you know, when you cook meat, oftentimes moisture is expelled because there's no fiber in there. And so um, you notice like when you cook meat, there's shrinkage. So you basically have a, you're, you're losing yield because uh, there's a lot of moisture that gets expelled during the cooking process. When you add our product, though, and then you cook, you actually hold a lot more of that moisture in, so you even get a better yield as well. So anyway, the point is that you're going to get a product that's just superior in every way, and you create a whole new opportunity to create really interesting novel food experiences for people uh, to enable them to try interesting new culinary um, delights. Yeah, and do you think that the... um do you think the angle is going to is going to be uh, you know promoting one of these philosophies or do you think this is just going to sneak in kind of secretly and kind of quietly and it's just going to sort yeah. of happen and consumers won't even really realize it yeah, I think probably more like the latter. So, uh, you know, I do think there's some people who are either motivated for animal welfare reasons or climate reasons who are going to say, yes, I'm actively going to seek out something else. But I think most people are buying food because they like the taste and because they can afford it. You know, that, that's really what it comes down to. Most people make most of their food decisions based on the things that they enjoy eating, that they can afford making and that are convenient for them, meaning they don't have to go to a special store or anything like that. That's, that's what drives most food choice. And so uh, I, I do think that there's some small portion of people who are using those type of what you call philosophical motivations uh, in their food choices, but it's not most people. And I think, you know, most of us didn't switch to digital because we thought, ah, it's so wasteful to have all these pieces of paper holding in, in there, you know, in our photo albums. That's not why we switched. We switched because you know, we liked the convenience. I mean, I'll tell you, Joe, I remember when one hour photo came out, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe we we're going to get our photos in just one hour. It was like amazing. And, you know, now imagine that it took one minute, you know, imagine it took one minute to get a photo. People would be rioting if they all of a sudden <laughs> I could take one minute to get a photo. So, you know, that's seriously an example. And I think in meat, that's what's going to happen is, you know, rather than waiting one to two years to grow a whole cow, you're going to be able to produce all of that meat in less than a day. Well, and I'll tell you this. Why, why wouldn't you hear what I kind of see happening is one of the big hamburger chains, for example, saying, let's just put 5%, uh, you know, supplement in and let's just see what happens. And if that yeah. 5%, they buy 95% real meat, they supplement by 5%, and, and they just test it. And people say they don't notice any difference, or maybe they like it okay, or, or whatever the thing is. And then they go to 10. I sort of think that might be how it kind of gets into the, uh, into the food supply. Now, is this stuff all, is it all FDA regulated? Yeah, it is. And, and, and they're okay with it. I mean, there's, there's never been any problems. It's all natural ingredients, everything. Everything that we use is all natural. We don't use genetic modification. Um, the ingredients that we use are all have centuries long consumption, uh, of from in humans. So 
you know, we are, well, we, we feel very good about it. And in fact, I'd say, you know, it's probably uh, safer. I mean, you know, look, we, we know like the evidence is very clear that eating a diet that is high in, in animal meat is not recommended by health experts. We eat way more meat than health experts recommend that we consume. And that is, you know, a contributing factor to heart disease and uh, type 2 diabetes and, uh, and so many other problems that we face right now. And we, though, are struggling to get control of this problem because people just want more and more meat. I mean, that's just what people want. And so we got to find a way to deliver that. You know, it's like if you think about even, you know, an electric car, why are people going to switch to electric cars? Well, probably not because they want to save the planet. They're doing it and paying more to do it because they really think it's cool. They really like it. It's a better experience. Well, we can provide a better meat-like experience for people that will also be better for the planet and also be better for them. And that's what we're trying to create here, something that's cost-effective and delicious so that there's no sacrifice in making better choices. We want to make the better choice the easy choice. You know, we're, we're always looking for the inside track. And I, I will tell you that, uh, although this is a little different than some of the other topics we discuss, uh, this is absolutely the inside track on, uh, on our food supply and the way that things happen. And uh, I think it's quite fascinating. And, and I will tell you that, uh, you know, at the start of this, I probably was a little bit, uh, you know, uh, maybe nervous about it or even a little closed-minded about it. But I will say that after talking to you for a while, that I'd be willing to give this a try. I mean, it's not, All it's right, not my, so, so yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's not probably not my, uh, my, my nature, but I would, I would give this kind of <laughs> a try. Yeah. Very good. Well, listen, you're in LA, we're in Sacramento. You have a standing invite. We'll roll out the red carpet. You come up and we'll give you a, a factory tour and tasting and we'll see what you think. We'll even do a blind taste test for you and see if you can tell which one is solely meat and which one is blended, okay? Yeah, you know, the thing is that uh, I don't want to take the blind test because I might end up liking the vegetable one more. And then uh... <laughs> <laughs> we're going hey, to get you. We're going to get you. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Really just a pleasure to have you. It was a fascinating discussion. And, uh, you know, listen, best of luck. And, and, and I hope that the rollout of this uh, this thing happens, uh, you know, because it really seems like it's something that philosophically and economically and, and for every other reason, it just seems like it's probably a really good uh, idea whose time has come. I appreciate that, Joel. Thanks so much. It's great to talk with you. And I look forward to seeing you in Sacramento. Me too. I'll be I'll be there. Very good. Very good. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.